every Arizona homeowner's best friend, and it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. around back Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. Rosie on the house. Brand new month here in October, which means we have the Farm Bureau joining us in studio. Spokeswoman Julie Murphy. Good morning. Welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm always happy to be here. I look forward to this day. If you follow along in our home maintenance calendar, you know our topic today is boxed vegetables, CSA, community supported agriculture. And we were generally speaking, you bring in a guest with you, but ours had the sniffles and didn't feel they could be on air this morning. So we'll just highlight, uh, which, which gives us a chance to highlight more of the CSAs instead of just focusing on one. So first describe and explain what is a CSA? essay. So these are really fun to talk about. I've uh, participated in a variety of these, but according to the United States Department of Ag, a community-supported agriculture environment consists of a community of individuals who pledge support to a farm operation so that the farmland becomes either legally or, (laughs) they like to say spiritually, the community's farm, with the growers and the consumers providing mutual support and sharing the risks of the benefits of food production. So basically what you do, or what I've done, is you buy in, you uh, commit to a weekly share, so to speak, and you can have a variety of sizes. And so weekly, at the designated drop-off locations or right at the farmer's market, I can come to the farm that provides these community-supported ag or CSA boxes and pick it up weekly. And uh, what's so fun about it is the vegetables are always seasonal or in season, and uh, it's a variety. A lot of times you might not, especially if there's that transition in the season, have any idea what's going to be in the box. So it makes you be very creative in the kitchen when you bring the food home. And we have a number of them here in Arizona. In fact, Arizona is credited with being an early adopter. If Frank Martin, our farmer that was going to be with us, say prayers for him because he's not feeling too good, um, he would tell you that in the early 90s, 1990s, Arizona Farm Bureau, or Arizona Agriculture actually, was basically committing to these kind of CSAs. So... Um, we have a variety of them here in Arizona, and since we were early adopters, uh, the state is known for some really neat farms that are providing these boxes, these kind of grab-and-go boxes that you commit to. So it's pretty neat stuff. Now, you don't always know what's coming. Well, you might have an idea because the farmer obviously knows what it's growing, but it's not like going to the grocery store and picking out what you feel like. Right. So, and and you will have an idea if you pay attention to the season, and the farmers that participate and offer these in their mix of offerings, they'll kind of give you an idea. So, if you understand what the season is, and by the way, fillyourplate.org has a, a breakout of the four seasons, so people can kind of figure it out. So, you have a kind of a clue, but uh, it's neat because it's like bringing home a Christmas present once a week, and it's food. <laughs> Or some kind of present. It's it's like a supply a surprise, and then also another neat thing with some of the CSAs that we have here in Arizona is they'll provide a re- weekly recipe. I think of Kelly Saxer when she had her farm in Queen Creek. Oh yeah, and that was one of the first CSAs that I participated in. Obviously, she had a regular direct market retail farm. She uh, served up her produce in farmers markets. 
uh, you could come to the farm. And I don't know if she had a you pick, but you could come to the farm and buy a box. But then she also had these CSAs. And she had told me at the time that this was actually her main stream of income was the robustness of her CSAs because all of her customers had pre-committed to this weekly box. And that's one of the neat things for the farmers and the ranchers. And we've got some pretty impressive ones now. I can go down the list and let you know some of the uh, entities that provide this. For example, there's McClendon Select. If you go to their website, they're, one of their main farms is based in Peoria. You'll see a grab-and-go sign-up. That's kind of similar. And that occurred with McClendon Select, an amazing farmer. They have a, a produce variety that ranges in over 100 different varieties of fruits and vegetables. Well, a good segment of his customer base pre-pandemic was the restaurant industry. Then the pandemic hit. Restaurants slowed down, shut down. Yes. Overnight, and this was not unusual for many of our farmers that had a huge customer base with the high-end chefs. So overnight, they came up with this grab-and-go and so, and they have continued it. You can see it on their website now. But they, the, the immediacy of that pivot during the pandemic of McClendon's f- Farms, for example, we also even had Merchant's Gardens in Tucson. They had to do the same thing because I think 80 to 90% of his business was with the chefs, uh, with the restaurants. It was so brutal. But this just proves the innovative nature of our businessmen in the ag world. So McClendon Select is an example of the CSA or the grab-and-go box, as they like to call it. You've also got Justice Brothers Farms. And Justice Brothers, we're familiar with them because we've had them on. More than once. Yes, more than once. And he is so fun. Young uh, farmer rancher, uh, Selwyn Justice. And they have, um, I believe they have something similar to that. And they also have the U-Pick. And I just earlier mentioned Merchant's Gardens in... Tucson. Again, these are all um, just try to jog down the in your memory the name of the farm, and you can go to their website, and you'll see right there because normally you can select CSA, and they'll show you how you can sign up and stuff like that. Um, you've got Crooked Sky Farms. Again, that's Farmer Frank Martin. They have a CSA program. You have Blue Sky Farms. That's one of the more recent farms that I've tried their CSA, their CSA product in their boxes. And again, you can get half a share or a full share. Very robust variety of fruits and vegetables and very fun to do. And then another one that, in my mind, because I've been at this for so long with Arizona Farm Bureau and just promoting some of our direct market retail farmers, Agritopia Farm in Gilbert is also providing the CSA. If you go to their homepage, you'll see right up there, you can hit the link and it says CSA membership, and it gives you the drill down on how you can participate. And that's a really neat one because that's like a master plan community. Oh, it's so amazing. That is kind of designed as a, I wouldn't say completely sustainable, right? but you know, a, a very, uh, you know, a, a step towards that. Exactly. And, um, So I told you about Kelly Saxer earlier when she had her own farm in Queen Creek. Well, now she's the lead farmer for Agritopia, and she's helping spearhead this process, and they have just beautiful produce. I actually have purchased some of their produce, but I just haven't signed on to their CSA yet. So 
Um, I like to try them, and I like to rotate in and out of the different farms so that I can speak to them by experience. And so far, I've never been disappointed. And one of the most amazing things about CSAs, and I'll even mention the benefits to the farmers, the benefits to the consumers. So this is, I'm being fully transparent. It's confession time <laughs> on the radio. Bless me, Father, for I have said. Yes, bless me, Father. I am not much of a cook. So a CSA box has forced me to seat myself, no, not seat, but stand in the kitchen and actually try to cook. And lo and behold, it hadn't been that bad. But uh, <laughs> I, I promise that I'll always leave the true cooking to the foodies that we sometimes get on our programs and our Instagram live through Arizona Farm Bureau. But it's fascinating to see what they have. Like I said, it's a weekly present to me. When I open that box, it's just delightful. And you see this these fresh, locally grown. Sometimes they're picked just the day before. And so you know you're getting it as fresh as you possibly can. And a big part of fresh is the the distance food has to travel. You know, it, right? Coming from our farms right here in our own community locally, it it doesn't get any fresher than that. Exactly. You know, and then when you see in the grocery stores, and not bagging the grocery stores, but you know, if if what's in this coming in the CSA isn't what's in the grocery store, well, you know what's coming from the grocery stores coming from a long ways away because that's you know, it, this time of the year and the produce doesn't match up consistently. Yes and no. So here's some fun things that we can know about, especially in the winter. Uh, any of our leafy greens coming out of the grocery store, we're probably getting them in the grocery store within at least a 48-hour period. From Yuma. Yeah. Because most of our leafy green product is coming. So we have a lot of, um, and I, I promote my small farmers and my big farmers, and I tell everyone it's all good because of the dedication to getting it right. In Yuma, at the peak of the harvest season, which we're just starting to move into it, they have 1,200 semi-loads leaving Yuma every day and going to all parts in between here in the United States. And they're getting to the Midwest. They're getting to New York very fast. And... Um, they keep the, it's in refrigerated trucks. You, a restaurant can be serving that within about a 72 hours, 48, 72 hour period. So even then when they have a distance to travel, because I care about my relatives in the Midwest and the East, I want to make sure they eat as fresh and as, you know, they're not getting to eat local like I am, but it's still very fresh. Some of the fun benefits for the farmer is they build a committed customer base Kelly Saxer would tell you that uh, one of the most important components of her business when she had her business in Queen Creek, her farm, was that customer base. They were loyal. They were there year after year. And then the neat thing is, of course, based on the year and the progress of the CSAs, you could always grow your customer base. They also help with cash flow because you're receiving payments early in the season and consistently. And for our farmers, they really need cash flow a lot of times, <laughs> and then they get to spend time marketing the food early in the year before the, the field season really begins. They kind of get, you know, potential customers inspired and stuff like that. So that's the other neat thing about CSAs. And, um, you know, farmers are committed to it. They'll give you a good box if you participate in it. For those listening 
to us in Flagstaff on CAF. You all have a great one, flagcsa.com, Flagstaff and local market. And then you had mentioned merchants in Tucson for everyone listening on our Southern Arizona affiliates. It's Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour, first Saturday of the month. So we're talking farm fresh commodities and CSAs. And you know, when you think farming, a lot of us automatically go, you know, the Midwest and the thousands and thousands of acres of corn and wheat and, you know, but the oldest known traces through archaeology and farming, they trace back to the Santa Cruz River right here in Arizona uh, out of Tucson until this week. There's an article out of the Wall Street Journal stating that they've got footprints out of White Sands, New Mexico, that they think predate uh, the footprints they found in the Santa Cruz River that was at about 10,000. Well, they put this at older than 10,000, but regardless of whoever was here first, I mean, the original farming traced back to the, the southwest, right? the desert. Yeah, you know, Farming's always been... A part of the desert. And I often think of the Hohokam, that ancient tribe that kind of disappeared on us. They're the ones that we've, we retrace their canal system in the modern era of Arizona and agriculture. And I always like to tell people we have been growing cotton in Arizona for centuries. And they look at me kind of funny. I said, our, our archaeologists have discovered that the Hohokam were actually growing cotton. So um, if anybody ever complains, well, why are we growing cotton in the desert? You, you know, you don't want to blame it on anybody. It's been very important and critical to this southwest region for, I think they say 2,000 years. That's when the Hohokam people were here. So a community-supported agriculture, they bring the food to you. Right. There's other ways to go get local farm products. Yes. You've got farmer's markets. A new one has opened in the West Valley, Mama's Organic Market. They've got a location in Arrowhead and Sun City. Well, they've just added Cabela's as their third location. It's Sundays, September through May, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. You also have all types of this new, in the last, I don't know, few years, this, this agritainment ha concept has emerged. I mean, it's been around a long time, but the actual term agritainment seems to only come around the last few years. Yes, maybe in the last 20. And we have some amazing farms that you can visit that do both the agritainment and actually are growing stuff that you can buy either at the country store on their farm. But I think of Mortimer Farms up north. I think of people that have been here. You know, that's the old yeah. Young's farm. Yes, correct. That closed down and was stagnant for about 10 or 15 years. Uh, yes. It seemed like then the Mortimer family got the lease, got that reestablished. And did you hear fairly recently they actually were able to buy it from oh, good. the developers that had purchased it and then awesome. decided to turn around and lease it to them? Well, now they own it. It's fully and uh, faithfully in the Mortimer family farm. Now, I, I don't think I could have ever driven past that strip if it had turned into a development. Oh, it just would have been heartbreaking. And what the Mortimers have done with it, it's so amazing. So if you go out there, they they launched their fall festival yesterday. I was talking to Ashley Mortimer, Mortimer their daughter, 
And yesterday was the official launch of a whole month of fall festival fun. They've got the corn maze. I'm not going to tell you the theme of it. You have to go to the farm to discover it. But uh, it's really fun and very tied into current affairs and current events and what's occurring. And then if you're not familiar with the state of Arizona, you're new or you're not sure where Mortimer's is, you just take I-17 north out of Phoenix. Yep. To the Prescott exit, Highway 69, and it's in Dewey before you get to Prescott Valley. You can, sometimes that road, there can be a lot of traffic. You can go up to 169 and take the Cherry Creek Road across, and it dead ends right into that intersection at 69 where, uh, and 169 meet, and Mortimer's is on the south side of that. You can't miss it from that point. If you want to know where to go in Arizona, you got to hang out with the Romero family. They'll tell you exactly how to get somewhere. Yes, exactly. And, um... They're just doing wonderful things there, like I said. And then if, you know, if you're more in the Phoenix area and you kind of want to stay a little bit more local, you can go to Schneff Farms in Queen Creek, uh, straight shot there, and it's uh, easy to get into, and they have a lot of fun things going on, and they actually celebrate with some, they cook off the fall festival with a chili cook-off type of thing, and they're doing all sorts of neat things. In fact, I you have had, a special yeah, one a neat as thing it that comes doing. to Schnepp. I pulled this out of the Casa Grande Dispatch. Coming up on November 4th, if you are, are a fan of the TV show Yellowstone with Kevin Costner, it's about you know just a family trying to preserve their ranch in the modern era where developers are coming in and uh, some people want to put an airport that takes up half of their ranch. So the getting the government involved to try and annex the land and it's their fight to save it well the season four premieres on november 7th that same day kevin costner and his band the modern west will be performing at schnepp farms and you can get tickets to that um it's in the community of it's in the events tab at rosieonthehouse.com so and it's my kind of concert it starts midday it's not one of those where you got to wait all night and it starts at the time you're ready to go to bed (laughs) you've got kids so you have to early to rise early to bed right so there's a concert series at at schnepp farms as well it's not just a pumpkin patch or they've got the train uh they've got their little restaurant there well they've got a music venue now as well i was just there the other day to pick up some swag for uh, two donated baskets that the schnepp farm gave to arizona farm bureau's women uh, their conference and throughout the rest of the state you've got apple annie's and wilcox they were our guests last month Shamrock Farms in Stanfield, uh, outside of Maricopa, and then you have the Miranda Pumpkin Patch. Just go to fillyourplate.org, click visit a farm, and you've got dozens to choose from. All fun. Passion for my plants, and I ain't afraid to show it, show it, show it, show it. I'm farming and I grow it. Obviously, water is a big topic of farming, and water has been a pretty hot issue. And the tier one shortage is coming for the CAP Canal and the Colorado River system, and what that will do to the Arizona farmers. And you know, it's it's not good. I'm not happy that we're going into tier one shortage, but it's nothing. It's nothing new to the world. New research out of uh, that was published by the Smithsonian talks about a archaeological site they found in what is now North Chile in one of the driest deserts between the Andes Mountains and the Pacific Ocean. The sandy, salty desert 
staved off decomposition and baked the corpses into natural mummies. And the research they've done for this drilling through uh, bones and the teeth looking for isotope ratios leads them to believe that during a cycle in the El Nino that disrupted the fishermen, they came inland and fought the farmers for their food and water resources. Um, And they probably knew knew that quote, too. Whiskey is for drinking and water is for fighting. (laughs) But the great news about it, you know, so fighting for water and resources is nothing new. But today we've got technologies and uh, innovation. And this BK Farms out of Moran is a great example. Switching out to a different grain uh, that goes back to the 1600s. Mm-hmm. Our ancient grains growers, yep. That uses less water than the grains they were using today. And some pretty strategic moves they've made. They're in the Pinal County, which is the hardest hit on the Tier 1 water Correct. source. They won't lose any water because they get it through a municipality that still has priority. So they've been pretty genius and Being a user of the CAP water system, they haven't pumped any groundwater, and the water table on their farm is up 100 feet over the last 30 years. So Yes, and Pinal County and the entire era can claim the the fact that the groundwater table has come up because all of the farmers in Pinal County were using CAP water. So it's one of the reasons why not It's not all doom and gloom out there. No, and it's... uh, (laughs) It, the use of pumps and groundwater will not be as robust as it was in the 1980s, but there are some options. And technology is always one of the things that has saved us as we have gotten improvements based on whether that's some mechanical or information or seed technology helps us with water reduction, you know. So all sorts of important stuff. And we've got Stephanie Smallhouse, the current president of the Arizona Farm Bureau, joining us on the line to talk about what this great monsoon season, second wettest on record as of date, since, since we've been keeping record, I'm sure it's not uh, overall the history of time, but you know, since we've been keeping track and what that's done for uh, not only the farming, and, but the ranching community and our desert. Steph, good morning, and thanks for taking a few minutes off the farm to join us on the line. Good morning. I'm glad to be with you this morning. I, I, I do want to talk about the monsoon um, because we've had a great one, and it's and it's always nice to talk about something um, positive <laughs> in in agriculture and things that are going well. But I wanted to comment on your CSA conversation earlier. One of the things that I think is really great about those CSAs is that we used to have one. I live near San Manuel, Arizona, and we used to have one that would came out here, and I'm not sure what happened, but. You know, they can be really cool for food deserts, for like rural communities that um, don't have, you know, a lot of our small towns in Arizona now don't have grocery stores. And so a lot of times those CSAs, if they deliver once a week or whatever out to these small towns, people can get, you know, like Julie was saying, it's like a basket of food presents, um, of fresh food. So just wanted to to throw that in there as something that I, I think can be really cool about those in our small towns. But anyway... So, yeah, we are on, we just wrapped up the last official month of the monsoon, which is September, and it ended with a bang the same way it came in. So we're happy about that. I think we got nearly an inch just the other day. So, um, and it's been a record-breaking, record-breaking monsoon. Most of, at least southern Arizona, um, has had its, its wettest year since 64, if not even wetter. So pretty exciting. 
And what's the, you know, we're excited because we had a, a record, recent record monsoon season, but what's the contrast and who does it benefit more? And talk about the grasses and the rangelands, all that fun stuff. Well, and, you know, and just for like sort of the contrast so people can sort of understand, because I, you know, it's really easy to separate yourself from what's going on um, with the weather and the climate if, if you're in town um, and you have really predictable resources. <laughs> yeah. But those of us that, that live out in the hinterlands that uh, depend on, on the rain and the snow and things really notice. So in January of this year, over 70% of the state was an exceptional drought. So that's like a D4. That's like the darkest red, worst color that you can see on the map. So that's pretty striking because I don't remember a time when it was that bad over the whole state. So right now, only about 13% of the state, which is the very northeastern part and the very northwestern part, are still in a D3, which is a little better than a D4. So it's a little better condition, but that's a big difference from 13% to now 70%. So most of the state is abnormally dry or moderately dry. Um, But... Um, and so what that means for ranchers, so like for us down here um, on the San Pedro, uh, you're <laughs> talking about mummified artifacts. That's what we started to feel like a little bit um, in June. Uh, we really had no substantial rain in 2020 and none in the winter and the fall of 2019. And so it was really getting pretty depressing out here and, and, and ranchers were, were really feeling the pain. But, uh, but we're seeing knee-high grass out on our rangelands now. And I got to tell you, you know, people wonder why in the world would you ever ranch and raise cattle out here in the desert? If they could get out, if these people from the Midwest and other places could get out on the desert rangelands right now, they would know exactly why we raise cattle out here. We've got, uh, you know, just tons of different types of grasses. Uh, it's, it's knee high. And the thing is, is a lot of these other areas, they have monocultures, right? They have all just one kind of grass. But in the desert, what you'll see is you'll see multiple different kinds of annuals and perennials, and they are really high nutrition content. And so when you get rain, it's exceptional, um, uh, exceptional feed for grazing. And so um, you go out on our rangeland now, and it's just night and day compared to June. So, um, so that's pretty exciting. We have a lot of ranchers that were hauling water. They've been hauling water in tanks from, from January to their cattle up in northern Arizona. So a lot of those ranchers, they don't have uh, wells to pump water for their livestock. They totally depend on runoff to fill what we call dirt tanks, which is basically like a pond. Um, and they, they were all dry. And so um, now all of those dirt tanks are full. And so uh, that's real positive for them. And just the overall cattle herd, the health is better. Um, you know, there's, rain is just amazing. It, it does amazing things, the nitrogen in the air for, for feed, but it also just, it just perks up the cattle and their health. So, so that's really great. Um, but there's a big difference between what happens in the summer with the monsoons and what happens in the winter with the snow. So ranchers are really benefiting from the summer monsoon, but like you were talking about the, the shortage on the Colorado River, um, that, that is dependent on snowpack. Um, and so, what we're really now looking forward to is the winter and what kind of snowpack we have, because that's what's really going to refill um, our rivers and streams is that snowpack. Now, the monsoon rain is still a positive for that, because what happens is when you go so long without summer moisture is that your soils get so dry. It's like picture just a super dry, hard rock sponge. And so when we do get moisture, the ground just sucks it up. So if it were to snow, if we hadn't gotten that moisture this summer, and then if we were to get some snow this winter, 
a lot of the, the soil would have just absorbed all of that moisture and we would have very little runoff. And so now what we're going to see is we're going to see that we have a lot of soil moisture, even in the upper um, mountainous areas, so that when we do get snow, a lot more of it will run off. And so that's really good for our farmers. With all our dam systems, you know, we control the floods pretty good. And then it fills the reservoirs that we use for municipalities. But just imagine we had uh, more acre feet of water come down the Salt and Verde in this short period of monsoon than we did the entire runoff of snow. Imagine what that river would have looked like without those dams on it. Right. I mean, you would have seen Tempe flooded. Exactly. And that's sometimes when um, Arizona was still a territory and farmers were coming out here, that was the ebbs and flows, literally, of farming. They would get flooded out and lose an entire crop. So this whole infrastructure, and there's some improvements that need to be made for the future, but the infrastructure system that manages the flow of our water has been incredible. And even though we live in a desert state, when you compare to some of the conditions from other states that aren't desert states, we actually have a good storage of water underground. Um, some areas of Arizona obviously are better than others. But, you know, going back to Stephanie's point, that was it's really good right now for our ranching community because of all the grasses due to all the summer rains. My dad likes to call them sum, summer rains instead of monsoons. But for the Pinal County farmer, he's waiting for that snowpack in the Colorado Rockies. Correct, Steph? I want to make sure I have that right. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's it. And it's going, to take, it's going to take several years to get us, you know, it, it took us several years to get to the point we are now. A lot of, a lot of the West is in a drought right now. Um, Oregon is really suffering. Um, they really didn't see much moisture. But uh, so a lot of the West is in the drought. But Arizona has been, we've kind of been down this downhill side for about 20 years. That's why they're calling it a mega drought. But uh, so it's going to take, it's going to take several years um, to, to pull out of it. But, but I'm confident that we will. And, you know, Julie's talking about, and, and Romy, you're talking about infrastructure. That's what, that's what makes our agriculture here so important is because we can control, right? We can control a lot of things. We can't control when it rains. But if we have infrastructure in place, we can control how we save it and store it and move it around. And so um, those farmers originally in the valley, uh, way back when, that made the investment in the Salt River Project, they, they leveraged their farms, basically, to bring all of that infrastructure and the dam and the canal system and everything to the state of Arizona. That was a lot. That, that's what it was about. It was like, well, this is great. We're getting this moisture, but we can't control it. And we either it's feast or famine, right? And so... Um, and so that was a big part of that infrastructure. So, And uh, sometimes we don't recognize it, but some of the statistics on Pinal County with their water cuts, that's a loss of 300,000 acre feet of surface water. Uh, one of my farmers converted that into gallons, and I can't recall what the number is, but if we did the conversion, uh, we'd understand a little, maybe, uh, Romy, that's one of those. How many con- acre feet? 300,000 acre feet of surface water will be cut. And then the loss of uh, anywhere from 63 to $66 million in gross farm sales because it's not like the farms will go out of business overnight, but following their fields so that they're only operating on 50%, maybe 60% of what they previously operated, that's like asking a business down the street to cut back on 40 to 50% of your resources. So there's can be a significant loss there. Um, 
And then there is the potential loss of 270 to 480 jobs in the Pinal County area alone because of this Tier 1 declaration. So there's definite economic impacts if we don't get ourselves out of this mega drought. And Stephanie, as you said, it'll take us a couple of years of healthy snowpack in the Colorado Rockies. Has anybody ever done an estimate on what, when they say years, would that be three or four? Would that be five or six? Uh, we need to be doing a rain dance or saying <laughs> our prayers to get something to happen, right? So we can say we're out of the mega drought. Have they well, ever guesstimated that, that one? No, I don't. I don't think everybody. I don't think anybody's brave enough to put a number on that. There you um, go. At least nothing I've. <laughs> at least nothing I've seen in terms of predictions. But but it's going to take it's going to take a significant amount of time. And you know, and the thing is, is that um, you know there there's plenty of water. Um, there's plenty of water in storage. Arizona has been storing water for a long time. The cities and and different entities that have rights to the Colorado River, um, they store it different ways. Um, and so. So there's a lot of water, but but the question is, how are we moving it around? How are we apportioning it, right? That's governed by very old rules, which are too boring and complex to get into on your radio show, <laughs> so, Romy. And, but um, and we'll, but I we, will we, say that there's room to move. And we're going to take a quick break and come back with our final segment. We've got Julie Murphy, spokeswoman for the Arizona Farm Bureau, in studio and on phone, the current president, Stephanie Smallhouse, and answer your question, 300,000 acre feet of water multiplied by 325,851 gallons per acre foot is 97.755 billion gallons of water. There you go. Oh, okay. So my calculator doesn't go this high. I was sitting here thinking during the break, you know, what is percentage-wise 97.7 billion gallons? What is that compared to the overall earth supply? It's estimated, and they don't know because, you know, there's still depths of the ocean that haven't been reached. But, and then the, but surface water uh, available on earth, 326 million trillion gallons. So just doing the zeros, that would be 0.60, So, I mean, just the massive amount of water that there really is available on Earth. And like Steph said, it's, you know, it's, it's the placement of it and the infrastructure of it and what we do with it when we have it and conserving that water. You know, water, I don't think, is ever lost. It might be uh, wasted temporarily, but it's going to come back and form. It just may take... 20, 40, 60 years <laughs> yeah. for it to seep out and seep back into the atmosphere, turn back into snow, come back down the river system. <laughs> I, I have a question for Stephanie based on the comments you made. And of course, we're all happy when we get rain because it's just so life-giving. But you said the cows are happier, Stephanie. Um, and I know every rancher would probably be able to say that and identify. But what are like the little character traits you're noticing with the cattle now that they've got the summer rains they need? Well, they're very smiley. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, we had this is our toughest year that we've seen in last in the in the last 20 years in terms of um, our our calf crop and just losing calves. Uh, we had more doggies that we had tried to to rescue and feed this year, and it's because at some point the the mother cows, um, if they're feeling overly stressed, 
um, and we have irrigated pasture, right? We 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 have uh, fields here that we put in over the last. Andy's my husband's father put in irrigated pasture here to mitigate for the drought because the drought's not new for Arizona, right? Like we're going to sit have this conversation like, oh my gosh, what's happening in Arizona? I mean, we live in a desert. Drought's not true, not new, but 20 years of it, you know, it's it's a little trying on on the soul. But um, but we've put in irrigated pasture to supplement our cattle during during times of drought and also so we can manage our rangeland so we like to take our cattle off the rangeland during the growing season when those grasses are coming out of the ground and producing seed and then we don't put them back on the grass until after that seed has has been produced and dropped because that's how we that's how we basically plant the next year's harvest right on the rangeland and so we keep those fields so so we, we even had fields to bring our cattle onto um but it's not the same nutrition. It's not. It's not the same. Um, it's not the same environment to where um, they're not stressed. And so, so now you know we we certainly have happy cows running around, and we haven't had any dobies for a while, so we're happy about that. That is so true. And I've also heard that when you see a cow chewing their cud, that a lot of times that's well, they have to anyway because it's part of their digestive process. But I've heard that. My dairy farmers always say that to me. That's one of the signs. <laughs> you know, so. one thing I one thing I I thought of too during the break that I wanted to bring up when we we're talking about the farmers in Pinal County and you know the differences between the moisture and different things is that you know the irony of of precipitation right is this if you're a hay farmer which we have a lot of hay farmers we have a lot of alfalfa growers in Arizona um, you want to control that water you want to you want to control when it's put on the field. Um, when it's not, when you can cut, when you can bale, because that determines the nutrition content of that alfalfa, right? And so (laughs) some of our farmers, you know, it's like on the one hand, you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, we're going to lose all of our water because we don't have the snowpack, we don't have the river water if you're farming in Pinal County, but then you get this big dump of monsoon moisture right over your hay field, and it basically ruins all of your hay. (laughs) And so it's it's a little bit of of a bittersweet uh, situation for them. But the reason I bring that up is because because they can normally control how that water is applied to the field and they have that high nutrient content in their hay, we have such great productive dairies in Arizona Correct. because they thrive off of that hay coming out of Pinal County. And so all of this is interconnected, right? So if the farmers in Pinal County don't have water to grow hay, then our dairymen are going to suffer because they're not going to have that high nutrient value of hay. And then ranchers, you know, back in March, April, it was it was hard to find hay because you're competing with the dairies, right? Ranchers like to buy what we call that rained on hay. You know, we we're not as picky. You know, we'll take whatever you'll give us. So, so the, the it just proves that Arizona agriculture and agriculture in general is incredibly diverse. That diversity makes us celebrate. Yep. Fillyourplate.org, and you can also sign up and get your annual Farm Bureau membership support your local farmers and ranchers because they support you.